Welcome to another podcast. Today, I have the distinct honor and privilege of having Mrs. Blimi Heller, who is a parenting coach and an educator. She's been making waves with her novel approach and gentle parenting style. I've been following Blimi on Instagram for a while now, and I've been learning a whole new approach to parenting that's really resonating with me. And I've been having many conversations with my sister-in-laws and, and sisters and friends about these ideas and how to implement them in our home. And I keep getting a lot of questions about it. It's also very much in sync and in line with some of the other podcasts that I've been doing with Rabbi Shimon Russell and um, with Yechanan Palter and his daughter. So I feel like this would be a really great segue from all those conversations. And I was very excited when Blimi was willing to be interviewed and share information about this parenting style. And here's a little bit about Blimi. Uh, Blimi is a mother of two children, Kanaidahara, who lives in Toms River, New Jersey. And she's certified in CBE, which is the core belief engineering, a leading edge method of personal growth and development. And Blimi is very passionate about helping parents build relationships with their children that's based on respect and trust. And that just even those words really just feel good when I say them, they, they just resonate. So thank you, Blimi, for joining me today and being willing to share your wisdom with us all. Um, let's thank get you right for here. having me. Yes, thank you. You know, it's funny when you said the based on respect and trust, you said it resonates and feels good. I literally had the same experience in my body. It's like, yes. Like every time I say it or hear it, I again feel that. Yes. Um, it just feels, it feels good. It feels right. And that's like the first step. I think like noticing, like when we notice our words saying like, oh, this feels right. Like even that language, I don't know that we were raised to think that way, you know? So noticing that, oh, that feels good. Even before I know what it is, that, that sounds like I would like that. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So, um, I'm going to get right into it. You know, having done these podcasts for a while now um, and interviewing a lot of different people, often the person I'm interviewing has like a method or a shita or a veltenchang, you know, worldview, if you would like. So before I jump into any of the questions that I've prepared, can you share with us the fundamental premise that, you know, the core of your philosophy of unconditional parenting, or as you call, I've also heard it referred to as gentle parenting. Tell us what you can that would just explain this whole philosophy yeah okay so what i would probably i mean obviously there's so there there's so much that is included in this but if we can consolidate it into like one core concept it's that the relationship that you have with your child is the most important thing and a lot of times when i say this people are like that's not rocket science like i know that too the, the difference is, is that in this way of parenting is that we really, it's not just an idea or concept that we know, we actually incorporate it into every single decision and interaction that we have with our children. So mm -hmm. we're literally going to ask ourselves, is this interaction going to build connection or, 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 or destroy or, you know, damage or, you know, negatively affect connection. And if it, the answer is it will negatively affect, we will not do it, right? So it's not like we'll say, well, sometimes you just have to do certain things in parenting, whether it's good for the relationship or not. We don't do that. We really, really, really take it seriously um, and, 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 and be like, no, we're going to find another way then. If it, if it negatively affects the relationship, we're going to find another way. So yeah. And so there's obviously like so many pieces and parts of it, but if we're just going to 
was still in That's the one thing. It would be this question that we're going to ask ourselves, is this interaction going to build or destroy my connection with my child? Right. And of course, we don't build a destroy connection in one moment. So those words are probably too big. It's will this increase or decrease? Connection? Uh -huh. Okay, that's, right? that's a better rephrase. Yeah, I like that. Right, right, right. Yes. So, so let me ask you, because, you know, if my child asks me for something and, you know, he wants me to get him the newest bike and I'm, you know, not able to, for whatever reason, that them might destroy our connection because he's going to be upset with me and disappointed. Is that, yeah. is that I something that you said that? Okay. Yeah. So this is great because a lot of times when people first hear this, that's the immediate thought that they have. It's right. like, okay. That pops in my head. Yes, then you're talking about permissiveness. You're talking about just letting our kids do whatever they want, whenever they want, because obviously they don't like it. They're not happy. And then like that's, you know, negatively affecting your connection. That's decreasing connection. So actually, no, um, I actually say that if you set boundaries, right, or set limits, however you want to say it, and say, no, you can't do that or have that, that's in your child's best interest. And this is really tricky because sometimes we set boundaries as parents that aren't in our children's best interest or, mm. right? Uh, yeah, so that's 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 very important. But if we do, that's truly actually relationship building and loving because we're doing what's in the best interest of our child. Now, there's another component to this though. In the moment though, our child might not appreciate that or recognize that that we're doing it for their best interest. So they're going to feel whatever they feel, disappointment, upset, and then the way we actually create connection in that moment is that we emphasize with their position. So I'm setting the boundary because it's in your best interest and by and, and be, because I care about you. And although you cannot appreciate that right now, I can hold space for that fact. I can hold space for the disappointment and the upset that you feel around this. And that's what's connection building, right? So one of the actually most magical things or connection building things is empathy. Empathy means entering the perspective of another, which by the way is not easy especially not with our children, especially not in the moment when we're setting a boundary. Um, but when we do that, then we're saying, I understand you. I'm here. I'm right here with you. And I get your experience. I understand you're upset. And that is what actually builds that connection in that moment. Yes, that, that resonates with me a lot. I just want to say, so I guess you, you just answered a bunch of my questions, but let me just go back to the okay. fundamental premise. So the fundamental premise is that each interaction that we have with our children, we need to ask, is this going to increase or decrease? Is this going to build or destroy our relationship with our child? And not all in one setting, but will it increase the, the, and build it or will it decrease and destroy it? Um, so tell me a little bit about, it's called unconditional parenting, correct? Is it gentle parenting? What is the exact title? Yeah, I really love that question. I actually struggled so much with giving it a title because okay. to me, as soon as you give it a title, it's like a method or a set of strategies. They're like, you know, we have this kind of like, and to me, that's totally not what it's about. It's not a method. There's no specific set of strategies that you have to do. It's a, 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 it's a perspective more than anything else for me. It's a way of seeing things, a way of seeing your child's behavior, a way of seeing your relationship with them, a, see, a way of seeing your role with them. Like, it's, it's really much more about that. And then the strategies and the methods, every parent, it's like a, a natural outgrowth of the mindset and the perspective that you have, you know? So I, I, I do give it a name because I have to give it a name somewhat. So I, I actually really use inter, these terms interchangeably, but my account on Instagram is unconditional parenting. So that's what, you know, I mostly refer to it as, but it's, it's really interchangeable with gentle parenting, respectful parenting, peaceful parenting, you know, all these kinds of titles that really, Maybe we should call it trust 
trust-led parenting, but um, you know, it's really, it. it's, it's about all these, all these kinds of concepts. So you're saying yeah. it doesn't have a name. You're not, you're, you're not, you're not um, limiting it to yes. a name. No, I love that. exactly. Yeah. I love that. So, and is it, is um, this whole style of parenting, is it something that's based on your experiences, uh, a specific stream of psychology? Is it evidence-based? Is it based on Torah? Like, where is it coming from? Give me a little bit of Mm. all of that background. yeah yeah i love that question so it's actually uh, everything combined <laughs> everything you just said combined so it starts with my experience as a child okay that sets the stage for all of this where certain things were done to me i was punished and i remember distinctly as a child thinking like why am i being punished why can my mother speak to me even as a child it didn't really make sense to me and i remember thinking that hmm i must just be a child when i'm a, an adult then i'll understand and then mm. i became an adult and i still didn't understand <laughs> So that's really right. So there's some experiences that I had in childhood, which like were like, I don't know if I want to do this with my children. I actually read parenting books even as a um, like 12 year old. <laughs> yeah, I was always very fascinated by these things. Yeah, so we have these books lying around, so I would read them. So yeah, that's so it starts with that. Then I became a parent, and interestingly enough, even though I was like, I don't want to punish, I don't want to do these things, I found myself doing them anyway. Mm. <laughs> I found myself falling back on the patterns that I was raised with because guess what? The only model you have for parenting is the relationship you had with your, with your own parents or the parenting that you were exposed to 24 seven. So I would find myself doing things that I did not want to do. And also I didn't know what else to do. So I was lost, very lost. And that's really what led me to then seek information. And then the information that I sought was like fresh air for me. Well, initially I found information that did not feel like fresh air at all. It was very much the information that I knew already was like consequences, punishment, bribes, rewards, and all that stuff that I was already doing and that I was raised with. And this was like new information, you know, um, a bunch of different psychologists, neuroscientists, you know, like Dr. Gordon Newfield, Dr. Bruce Perry, um, just a bunch of really, actually, when I listened to Robert Yochanan Holter, is that his name? I always forget. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, the, yeah. the podcast you did, he mentioned that he became like obsessed with like this, so did I, it literally became an obsession. 24 seven, I was reading books, listening to lectures from all these different um, experts, you know, on these different topics. And it was literally like, this resonates, this makes sense. And then of course, I also, um, being a Torah Orthodox Jew, right? I, I filtered everything through that lens. And I even sometimes called up like rabbis to be like, what about this? How does this fit into what we know? Um, so I sort of really took everything together and combined them all to, to uh, yeah, all of them really impacted this, this passion that I have. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. So you're telling me that you're, you kind of came up with this theory, but it's based on other people's experiences and experts, and it's a compilation of so many different things together. And um, you've, and, and tell me a little bit about like the, not the effectiveness of it, but like, what the response has been like? Why do you feel that this is something that's so powerful? Like, what is your what is that what has that been like? Yeah. So first, let's start with my own experience, right? So I said I was lost, and then I love this information, and so of course, I, I started reading up and became obsessed with it. But I also started integrating it into my own home, and I cannot even tell you how life changing it was. So it's not just like, oh, my children started listening to me, which is such a short sighted goal. It was like my relationship with my child became different. I, I actually started getting to know her, not just her behavior. I started getting 
uh, healing my relationship with my own inner child. Like I started growing and evolving as a person. Just everything together was just like, it was mind blowing to me. And it was so, that's of course made me only more passionate about it. And then I shared it with other parents and I found that I got the same kind of feedback from them where they were just like, this is amazing. I'm loving like the, the change that I'm seeing with, with the relationship that I have with my child. I'm loving how much like it's helped me grow and you know, all that, all that. It can be painful as well, of course, but it's, yeah. So that's really, that's the feedback I've gotten. And that's really been the, my experience with it. Yeah, that's great. So, okay. So the most common pod, you know, podcast question that I get or feedback and, and I got a lot of feedback from my most recent podcast with Rabbi Shimon Russell or before the HSP workshop is that so, so, okay. So now that we know all this, now that we know all this information about how important connection is and how important unconditional love is. And I've actually, you know, talked about this with some of my sister-in-laws and we've like fleshed it out and I've come to us. It's not unconditional love is obvious. Like we will all, we all love our children, right? Like we all say, I would run in front of a car for my child. I would, I would die for my child. There's not a question. I love my child. I, I love them unconditional, but I say like, would you, we're saying that we will die for our children, but will we live for our children? You know, you know, you hear mm. stories about Yidin that like die al Kiddush Hashem. They didn't live their whole life as a Jew, but then when it came to the last moment, they remembered and they died al Kiddush Hashem because they died for the love for Hashem. But what about living for Hashem and not dying for Hashem? So like, I looked at that example and I said, that's really speaking to me. Like, yes. Why am I willing to die for my children? Why am I not willing to live for my children? I want to, um, so, so really the word for me is more like unconditional acceptance is what comes up for me more than unconditional love, if that resonates with you. Yeah, yeah, that definitely resonates, resonates because also like unconditional love is a very like, it's a, it's a concept, right? So how do we make that practical? I love what you said about living for our children, right? So how do you make that practical? Like how do children experience unconditional love that's the question the question is not if we feel it sure you can feel you know dr gordon newfield says our children don't experience our intentions they experience what we manifest through tone and behavior right so our children only know what they experience so and if they experience conditionality or what they perceive as conditionality around love that's what they're going to think they're going to think my parent loves me conditionally and many children come to that conclusion even though we really love them unconditionally so it's more about asking what's my child's experience right now what are they, how are they experiencing this interaction and asking ourselves that, which is right. really right. It goes back to empathy, understanding your child's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, that's excellent. I, so, so back to the question I just said, and just, let me finish this is that, you know, the most common question I get is, and that I got from Rabbi Shimon Russell's podcast is okay. So now that we know this, we're two from here. So what do we do about it? What does it actually look like to love my child unconditionally? What does that look like in my everyday life? Or, and it's like, you know, the $100,000 question that we all want to know because we have many kinds of children. I mean, I am Baruch Hashem, a mother of seven, and I have many different types of children. And there's different stages, ages, and phases. And how do we implement this in reality? Correct. In, in exactly. Yeah, no, I love the question. This is exactly what this entire approach is about. It's about how do we make it practical? And so that's where we ask ourselves that question of has our child experienced this? And then it comes down to little nitty gritties like we don't punish. That's really one of the reasons that we don't is because it sends a message of conditionality. When you're having a hard time, when you're struggling, when you're also acting in ways that I don't like, I push you away. I do something that hurts you. I deliberately make you uncomfortable. 
We might have good intentions, but how does our child experience that? My parent loves me less when I do something bad. They love me more when I do act the way that they want me to. On the flip side, we don't either praise our children, which most people are really flabbergasted by. Now, again, that doesn't mean we don't give them positive feedback. Praise and positive feedback, I differentiate between the two. And the difference, what the difference really is, is uh, there's so many differences. Um, but the, the best way I can define it is that praise is a judgment, a positive judgment. So if I say like, whoa, you're such a good sharer, or you just, now what I'm sending the message is that you are more likable and lovable to me when you do this, right? Who you are, what you do defines you, right? And so that can also send a message of conditionality. There's so much more to it, but the idea is that we literally, it, it, and, and this is why I share my parenting um, course and my information, because it's about how to practically take this concept and make it uh, doable or, or, or actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, what I'm hearing you say is we don't punish. Yes, I am saying don't punish. I'm saying much more than that, but yes, don't punish, don't threaten. That's what that's what that's what popped out at, at me as you were speaking. It's the one, you know how that works. We always hear something that talks to us. You yeah. know, there's so many different, you know, ideas. And one of the things that I've been working for my children is PCIT. And I, I don't know if you've heard of that whole method. And so you have over there, you have labeled praise and you have um, paraphrasing and telling them what they're doing. And then there's also, you know, I wouldn't call it punishments, but there's reactions to actions is that there's a reaction. It, would you consider that punishment as well? So it, it depends. It depends what and it depends what your intention is. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll differentiate the two for you. So I, I hate the word consequences and reaction to action because it's very unclear about what we're actually talking about. Right. There are people who use the word consequences to mean consequences that happen naturally like without anybody's intervention, like you leave your bike out, it gets run over, you lose the bike, right? People use it to mean that I come up with a consequence to give you and I impose it on you, right? And it's also a euphemism for punishment. Like it's, there's so many different meanings. So same with this. Um, what I, how I differentiate this is that, so we don't impose anything on our child in order to teach them a lesson, okay? I'm not going to, because you did this, I'm gonna do this to you so that you learn a lesson never my intention. I will though use the protective use of force as they call it. It's a term I borrowed from Dr. Marshall Rosenberg, who is the author of something called Nonviolent Communication. Yeah. Really, really amazing book. Yeah. So the protective use of force is that as a parent, it's my job to keep you safe, right? And to keep others safe from you, like to basically respect everybody's needs in the family and outside. So if you are not safe yourself, or if you are making somebody else unsafe or causing somebody else to be unsafe, I should say, or if you are negatively negatively affecting somebody else's needs for safety, security, respect, then as a parent, I have to step in and do something. And so my, I may do something that looks like a consequence. For example, I'll give you an example. Okay. So let's say my child, I'll give two examples, a young, young child. We're talking about little children here who are like playing with toys. And then one child starts to throw a toy at the other kid. Right. I may, as a protective use of force, step in and just take the toy away from the child to protect everybody there. So the child, the, the toys don't get thrown at the other kid. I'm not doing them to teach them a lesson. I'm doing it purely. Think of another block. Take everything away. I would take the child away with me and help them calm down, whatever it is, okay. right? Okay. But I'm doing that not to teach them a lesson. Not like because they're using the toys unsafely, I can't let you have it. And now you're going to learn a lesson. Totally not my intention. Another example let's say my child, they have to wear a helmet every time they ride a bike. Okay. And they're struggling to wear the helmet. 
Now, by the way, we never go to the protective use of force right away. It's always at first a conversation. Sometimes it can't be a conversation like it's a child throwing blocks. You just have to step in and do whatever you need to do. But let's say with the, with the helmet, my child's like, I don't want to, no. And so then we explain the importance and I have conversations around it. And I try to problem solve with them because they're like, it's hot, it's uncomfortable. We try to figure out how to make it more comfortable, et cetera. If after all that, my child still doesn't wear their helmet, then I may say, listen, I'm going to take away your bike until we can figure out a way to keep you safe while you're riding it. Because right now it's not working. My intention is not to teach you a lesson. My intention is to keep you safe. And this is the only way I know how to do it right now because everything else is not working, right? Mm -hmm. So you hear the difference. And then my child is basically now probably gonna be like, oh my gosh, I really wanna ride it. And so then they'll come back to the table and really converse with me about how to make that happen. You know, so yes, I don't believe in doing it to teach them a lesson. I don't believe that it's necessary. We believe it's necessary. I think it's very ingrained in our culture, but um, from my experience and from many of other parents, it's actually not. Wow. Okay. So that, that resonates. Um, do you feel that this kind of style of parenting is for all ages? I mean, three-year-olds, 16-year-olds, you know, there are uncomplicated kids like dandelions, the more sensitive kids, the orchids. There are kids that are already struggling in one way or another, and there's a pre-struggling. I mean, how do I apply this gentle parenting or respectful parenting for each stage, age, or phase? Or is it somewhat the same for all? Yeah. So really this, this, this parenting approach is mostly about how do I meet my child's needs? It's very much about needs. We're always looking at needs, right? We see behavior as communication of needs. Everything's about what does my child need right now? So, and because it's not a specific set of strategies, like I said, because it's not a method, it is applicable to every single age. Literally from the moment your child is born, like I wish parents would know this even before their child was born because so much of it is relevant even then, you know? And it's, of course, it's applicable for even into adulthood, you know? It's, it's the, these concepts are always relevant. And by the way, I have people who, show, who have children who are on the spectrum, right? Autism, autism spectrum, children, parents of children with ADHD and ADD. And when they took my course, they, they were like, yes, I finally found a way to get through to my child or to actually, you know, uh, positively interact with them and help them. So um, I would say it is for every single child. And by the way, my oldest is um, HSP. This is why I think I was struggling so much with her. Right. And so, yes, it, it, just the opposite. I think it works incredibly. It's been life-saving for me, for her, you know? Yeah. So that, that, that resonates, you know, what comes up for me is, you know, the idea of boundaries, mm -hmm. okay? Because boundaries are a really important piece of parenting, um, you know, and I think of permissive parenting, permissive parenting is, you know, I'm too afraid, you know, let me step, step back actually for a second. I've been reading a book, I'm actually done this book and um, I, I, it's very much similar and in line. And I'm curious if you've read uh, Treating Explosive Kids, but it's maybe not the same book, but it's by Dr. Ross Green and Stuart Ablon together. Yeah. Yes. And it's the collaborative problem solving. Mm -hmm. And the, the premise there is the whole idea of there's three types, type A, type B, type C of parenting styles. You know, A is where you're just telling them do it because I said so. And yeah. you're just like very punishing and there's consequences and that's unilateral mm -hmm. battle. Exactly. And then you have C, which is the permissive. Like I can't control this because to do whatever you want. Don't brush your teeth, go to sleep when you want, eat the candy, don't wear your helmet because I can't control you. And then there's the B, which is the collaborative approach. And I've been working, you know, I, I've been reading up and I watched his TED talk and I've been, and it's very much in line with what you, what I've been reading, seeing on your Instagram page as well. And what I'm noticing is, is it's the collaboration piece 
that 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 really is the most effective part because Correct. as you were talking as you were just explaining this right now is the community the talking pieces like we don't realize that adults even at our even as an adult we need to be able to work collaboratively and work together and if we could work together and we'll sit with the child and i sat down with the child and i was able to say so you don't like taking showers every time we have to take a shower there's a big blow up of fight and my concern here is, is that you're not clean your concern is that you don't like showers. We need to figure something out. Do you have any ideas? And he came up with an idea like, yeah, I could, I could shower every other night. And okay, that's not my first choice for this child, but I realized that, okay, this child needs that approach. And he's taking a shower every other night. I can't say across the board here and there, he forgets and gives me a little bit of a hard time, but we go back to it and we revisit it and we're back on stage. Yeah, Ma, I'm doing it nine o'clock. We'll see, I'll be in the shower. And I'm noticing this idea like, it's really resonating with me. And so when you were speaking before about the whole idea of, you know, needs, that that's not just a child thing. So I really, you answered the question with that word needs because everyone has needs at all different stages, ages, and phases. Correct. And our needs are universal. This is the thing about needs. This is why focusing on needs really arouses compassion within us because I have those same needs my child has. So when I look at my child and I think, Oh, they're just doing that to annoy me or they're like they're just texting me or something like that that arouses usually anger frustration in me but if i'm thinking hmm, they're just seeking inclusion they're seeking connection they're looking for stimulation i can i can have compassion for that I'm like i also want those i also need those things hmm, that's what my child's looking for how can i help them also it really helps us with speaking of having this collaborative conversation I, okay, so I love Dr. Ross Green's work and it has been so impactful. Literally, I use so much of what he shared in what I share with parents. I combine that with Dr. Marshall Rosenberg's NVC approach where he's all about recognizing needs. I think it's so impactful when we can recognize the need of our child and recognize what our need is. And then, right, because right okay, I, yeah, because I have, okay, so basically needs, there are many, needs are universal and they're abstract. There are many different ways to meet one need. What where conflict happens is that we get stuck on yeah. your way versus my way, your strategy versus my strategy. We can always re-strategize. We can always find strategies that are not in conflict with another that meet both of our needs. So this I is think that's always a possibility. I mean, like, let's take it like if I think about, you know, Rabbi Akiva's students, that whole story of that they didn't. They all had an understanding of a different strategy and they didn't respect each other's opinions. There was no room for another way. So is it, you know what I'm saying? Like, but isn't there a point sometimes where there isn't a way that we can both kind of come up with a solution together? I mean, somebody's needs are gonna have to be given up. I'm gonna have to give up my needs, my need for my son to take a shower every single day. I have to give up on that idea and say, hmm, is it really important? Wait, I need to think about that. And I gave up on that need and I want it to be clean is really my need. So maybe as I'm talking, I'm having some clarity here. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not that I had a need for him to take a shower. Maybe my need really is that he should be clean. So when I rephrase and really think about my need, then it helps. Correct. I was just going to say that. I was like, you're getting stuck on the strategy thinking it's the need, which many of us do. So what's your actual need? I would say your actual need is probably just that your child to care for your child or to make sure that your child is taken care of or that he's hygienic or something along those lines and there's many ways to meet that need you got stuck on the specific strategy of it has to be every single night but does but there's other ways to meet that need as well 
right? So, and that's the thing, we both, as parents, we get stuck on the strategies and our children do as well. Our children get very stuck. I'm like, no, I want this. And we, but they're really asking for a need. And we can say no to the wants, no to the strategy, but yes to the need, right? And so, and like you said, the, the magic really lies in the fact that we're collaborating because children want autonomy. They want freedom, they want choice, they want power, all of us do. You know, it, it's, what, it, what there's a quote I love it. It says something, I forgot the author of this quote and it says like, nobody likes to be treated like a child, even children, you know? So we have this belief that like children are okay with us just taking away their autonomy. Like they're fine with that. And suddenly they just, you become not okay with it. They're never fine with it, right? Sometimes they may forfeit it in uh, because they just want to can be in connection, in connection with us. This is a whole separate conversation about our children for survival. They need to be attached to us. They need to be connected to us. So many times they'll obey or comply out of that need to just be in good standing with us. As they get older though, and they can get their, they don't rely on us as much. They can get their needs met elsewhere. They usually, that defiance starts to come out more where they're, this is what like the teenagehood happens where they're just like, I'm not gonna listen to you because I don't have to, right? I, I never wanted to, but I didn't have a choice when I was younger. I, I was dependent on you. So yeah, oh, there's so much, there's so much to say here. But yeah, so that's really why collaboration works well because we're honoring and respecting our child's autonomy. And that in itself makes our child be like, okay, you're willing to work with me. I'm willing to work with you. So sometimes there is a little bit of, like you said, is it always possible to meet everybody's needs? I believe it is. I've been doing this for a while now. Sometimes we, what we compromise on is the strategy is that I really wanted you to do it this way, but okay, I'm willing for you to do it another way. Yeah. You hear what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful. Yeah. There were other things that were brought up in my mind when you said that, but I don't know if you want to ask me more questions. Okay. No, I want to hear more. Go ahead. Go oh, okay. Ahead. So, so you were talking about like collaboration. So I want to say for those listening who have younger children, we do less collaboration. So as they get older and older, we do more and more collaboration. Because like having a discussion with a two-year-old about like, how do we solve this problem might, might not go over so well. They're lacking a lot of intellect, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information. I, I happen to be, I do start when they're very young, but very sporadically, right? And then we increase it as they get older and older. So when they're younger, there's a lot of room for just setting a boundary welcoming all the feelings that come along with it. And, and even when they're older, there's also room for that. There are some times in some situations where I will not collaborate with my child, but those times are very few, far between and rare. And because of that, my child is more than happy to just comply because there's so much trust and so much respect between us that they're like, I'm willing to endure a little bit of frustration and I trust that you're doing it because for my best interest. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. That's really fascinating. So you're saying that it's very far in between, it's very infrequent, and when it happens, they're able to accept it more because there's a connection that's very strong that's been built on, and it's easy for them to, to hear that. I have a question. There are explosive children, and there's a need there. They're not exploding because they're bored, but there's a need that's not being met. Is there ever a time where, let's say, a child's losing it? and they're hitting you and they're hurting you and they're kicking their sister and they're screaming in the car, whatever it is. What is the correct approach at that moment? Yeah. In the moment, they, they're not collaborating and you need to get them to bed or you need to get them to do the thing. What, what, what is the correct approach when dealing with an explosive child? Yeah, so I actually separate between two things whenever it comes to behavior, whenever it comes to our children acting inappropriately or unacceptably, however you wanna uh, say that. There's two things, okay? When it comes to discipline, there's, and most of us merge the two together and lump them together as one, and that's a mistake. There's crisis management, 
what do I do in this moment to keep everybody safe, to meet every, make sure other people's needs aren't being overridden? Crisis management that has nothing to do with teaching or talking to them. Then there's the discipline or the teaching, which happens later. That's where you have the collaborative conversation. That's where you'll do whatever it is you need to do to prevent it in the future and to teach the children skills that they might be missing, to help them recognize their needs that they didn't recognize in that moment, et cetera, and so forth, okay? But that only happens afterwards when your child is in a regulated space. Okay, so then your question really is, how do I manage crises, crises yeah. right? What do I do in those moments? Now, there's many, many different ways to do that, but the basic concept is, when a child is usually explosive, by the way, they're dysregulated. See, I, I, I love teaching parents neuroscience because I think it's so, it has been immensely impactful for me. So they're dysregulated. What that means is they're in a, a part of their brain where they aren't able to access the part of their brain that is logical and reasonable and is good at problem solving and is good at controlling their impulses, okay? That basically shuts down the younger they are, the less access they have to that in this moment. Okay, so they're kind of stuck in this place of extreme dysregulation. What they need from us is A, to, to keep everybody safe, to step in, do what we need to do, block them, stand in front of them, remove them, whatever it is, and then to go directly into regulation to help them become regulated. Because if we just focus on stopping them, usually that only riles them up even more. They're in a dysregulated space. They're already seeing you as the aggressor, as somebody that can be attacked. They're not in their right. So when, so we have to, stop them, but then our job really, our role is really to help bring them back to regulation. And now the amazing thing about regulation is, so young children actually, or children, infants, are not born with the capacity to regulate themselves. They can only regulate through an attachment figure. And there's wonderful, amazing science to prove this. It's amazing what Hashem made, what happens in the brain. Children literally will mirror their parents' brains and that's how they regulate. So that's what we call co-regulation. They're regulating through us. So when a blessing an infant cries and a parent comes to the infant and the parent is there and present with a child, the parent's regulated regulation actually downloads onto the child and the child regulates. They do not know how to regulate themselves. The only thing they know how to do, which some people say it's not true. Some babies stop crying on their own or they do whatever, right? So they shut down actually. Actually, in orphanages, if you ever notice that the babies don't cry in orphanages, you don't hear babies crying in orphanages. Correct. Correct. Yeah, because they've shut down. They don't, their needs are still there, but exactly. So children can shut down, but they're not, it's not the same thing as regulation, okay? So they regulate through us. And then what happens is, is that when they regulate through us, that actually creates the neural pathways in their brain of regulation. So some parents are like, wait, but if I'm always helping my child regulate, then that I'm handicapping them. No, just the opposite. You're helping them. So when you step in and your five-year-old or three-year-old or even an older kid is explosive, and you're there to help them regulate either through sensory things like deep pressure or by doing something like inviting them to read a book to them or by whatever it is. There's so many ways to do that. You're actually creating the neural pathways in their brain of here I'm dysregulated. This is how I regulate. And then afterwards, after the moment, we can talk about how can you help yourself in those moments, understanding development and understanding realistic expectations about how much they're able to do for themselves considering their age. And slowly over time, what you should see is that your child is able to actually implement strategies to help themselves or just to have the in built in sort of regulation to help themselves. Of course, highly sensitive children struggle with it a lot more and also highly sensitive children develop 
disability later than most children. I don't know if you know, right? Yeah. Right. So whereas with most children, we'll actually we'll see a huge leap in regulation around five to seven. With highly sensitive children, it's around seven to nine. Mm. So it takes them a lot longer, right? And then, and then obviously there's so much more to talk about here. Let's say a child hasn't. Let's say every single time the child acted out, the parent got really dysregulated. Each time, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I, you have to stop that. That's terrible. You're you're acting crazy. Get in control. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, like the parent. And by the way, that I just want to like hold space for parents who I get it that way because I did. I really, really did. I would get enraged. I, I get triggered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I would just, the longer I'm doing this, the less I do because I see it differently, yeah. right? But yeah. yeah, and I would just and so without it, it added fuel to the fire, and it made them. Speaking of regulation, it only made them more dysregulated. And so if that has been the pattern, and I work with parents who have like 13 year old kids who this has been their pattern and the violence has only increased and increased and increased. And the parent is only now starting to regulate themselves, help their child regulate. Guess what? Even at that age, it's an uphill battle. I'm not going to lie. It's not like, oh, immediate changes, even with young children, it's not, but they do see change. They do. They see a slowly a, 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 um, a, an increase in uh, regulation. Right, so they're creating new neural pathways, basically. Exactly, exactly. It's because the brain can't, you can't use your, you know, your rational brain when your, when your flight and flight mode is in, is in full swing. Exactly. You just can't, you can't get there. Exactly. And a lot of parents are busy telling them, you can't act this way. What are you going to do when you get married? How are you going to act this way when they're a teenager? Like, no wonder your friends don't want to be with you because you're not, like, all like, these things that are yeah. really painful and hurtful. Yeah. And it's just, it's more, it's more of that. And I also, at the same time, like I said, like you just said, I want to hold space for that. I, I get it. It's it's a lot. It, it's it's a lot to try in the moment when it's affecting other people. So I want to go back to there for a minute because I want to just paint a picture of what it looks like when somebody's having a tantrum. So if a child's you know screaming and yelling, kicking his father, mm -hmm. his father. Mm -hmm. um, so the natural reaction is, you're not going to kick me. I will not let you kick me. We're going to be moving you out of the room. That is not gentle parenting respectful parenting looks more like yes exactly the reason why it's not is because you're using separation right so you're basically saying right now i'm going to separate you from me and from everybody else which by the way is extremely wounding to that child the parts of the brain that light up are the same parts of the brain that light up when a child's in like excruciating pain right and yeah and it really actually so it deeply impacts the child even though we think like oh what's the big deal we're just separating them from us you know but it actually because the worst children are so our human beings are so wired for attachment being rejected in that way is deeply painful. So, so we 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 will remove the child. Okay. Well, depends. I, I, I maybe I won't even remove the child. Maybe I'll just stay there. Okay. So I'll show you what I'll do. It's a gradual process. First, I start with the least, uh, the least uh, force, right? So I'll just hold up my hands to block myself or protect myself, or I'll put something in between me, right? And I'll and I'll go straight into what I say regulation. So I'll say something like, maybe I'll start with empathy. Maybe that will help them regulate. I have to know my child, but with one of my children, this definitely work. So I would I think like, that empathy helps with every relationship. I, I think that is, and he talks about that in this book, The Explosive Child, that is the first place. If the child doesn't feel empathy, they cannot even, even if you're not saying it, and even if you're holding that space and you're holding your body a certain way and you're not saying those words, if they don't feel empathy, they cannot accept it. It still feels like disattachment to them. Correct, exactly. The thing is what I'm talking about is verbal empathy. Sometimes in the moment of dysregulation, only dysregulates them more. Um, so sometimes that's okay. a long time. Yes, yes, exactly. Some, but some children receive it really well when they're like, okay, so you're saying, so that's interesting. That's an interesting distinction. Okay. So you're saying that like for some people saying to them, you're safe, 
it's okay. I know you're having a big yeah. Right now. Yeah. That will yeah. just trigger them more. Yeah. They'll be like, no, I'm not. And they, you know, and they just like, they, yeah, they get even more disturbed. They're like, what just happened? She told me that it was a good idea. You know, right. I used to recommend this to parents. And then, uh, or I used to see recommended to parents. I tried it myself with my highly sensitive child. It did not work. It did not work very well at all. But of course, my child was not. It works very well for her. So because also her dysregulation is not as extreme, right? So some children go from zero to 20. And when they're in that range, you can do empathy. But if they go zero to 100, it's usually like they're too far gone. That's not going to work right now. Okay. So, but let's say I would start out with something like that. Let's say I would be like, oh, you really didn't want me to say no to that. You're so upset about that. I know. And while I'm holding out my hands to block them or to do that, okay? Now, what if my child just keeps doing it? They keep hitting me and blocking them and helping them regulate in the same moments is not actually helping them regulate. So then I would go to something. I would, first of all, I would try a different strategy. Like maybe I would be like, come, let's run around. Let's get out your, your thing and let's run, let's both run together. You know, and sometimes a child would receive that well, sometimes they wouldn't. And at the same time, but let's say they still continue doing it. I suggest that and they still keep hitting me or doing that. Then I may hold their hand gently. If I'm dysregulated, I will not do it. I will hold their hand and say like, I know you don't like when I do this and I don't wanna do this. I, I, my number one job is to keep everybody safe. So I'm gonna be holding your hands, but let's let's like, you know, and then I would go straight into regulation. Like, come, let me, let me help you. Let me, you know, so that's the idea is that basically I use the least force necessary and I focus on regulation. Mm -hmm. But if it escalates, then I do whatever I need to do to protect myself. Sometimes I may even take the child with me to another room and let them just, you know, Exactly. exactly do whatever they need to do while keeping myself safe also in that but never leave them alone mm. that's the thing now when i say leave them alone there are some parents whose children are so explosive that they're like i tried to stay in the room but my child was really just hitting me hitting me and like i couldn't keep myself safe so they're like so i just like stayed right outside the door but i made sure they knew i was there i kept saying i'm right here i'm right here mm. so so you know again that's that's that, that would that would not be the first place I would go to. I'm talking about really explosive children here. Like most right. parents, no, I, I do, I have experienced that. Yeah. I would say that one of my children actually likes to be alone mm -hmm. and needs that. Like I tried to explain this to a teacher that he needs to be alone right now. And I, I'll take the responsibility for the safety. Trust me. He needs to be outside the room. Just take some time. He needs a book. He needs to be alone and he'll come back in his own. You'll see. And he does that all the time. So I'm saying, I hear that the alone part, but I think is this does this resonate that to say that some children actually crave that a little bit, and maybe yeah. it's some disattachment. Maybe maybe it stems from no, attachment. No, no. I don't know. No, I but, think there's a lot of different ways that he probably he probably discovered that that's a way that he can regulate himself. Yeah, and maybe being in your presence dysregulates him more, and he's like, I don't want your intervention. I don't want your help. So the, my only thing with being alone is that we don't want to reject. We want to be like, I'm always here. And so what I try to say with parents like that is that. So let your child go off and do their things, but keep coming back, keeping like, what about, what about if, if, if for me, I find that extremely, like I need to, you know, you said mm. we need to model regulation and I'm, I'm so dysregulated by their tantrum yes. or yes. they're flipping out that I need to step out. So, and if my, if somebody else isn't there at that moment to, to take over, can I turn to this child and say, I know you're dysregulated. I want you, you know, you're going to sit here in this chair and they're a little bit calmer now. So it's not like when they're full blown, but you know, you take a minute and you can say to this child, I need a minute to step out and calm myself in my own space. I'm going to be, I'm right out here. I just need a minute it, or five minutes. Is that okay? Is that considered, you know, or is it because I told the child that I need that and it's not about them, it's about me and Correct. my needs. It's not as hurtful. Correct. Yes, 100%. So much of it is in the delivery, you know? 
Um, so much of it is in the way that you communicate it. I, I do want to say though, a few things. Number one, maybe what you would want to include with that, like, I still love you. I'm not mad at you. I just need a few minutes for myself. Okay. So, cause some kids get very, very, very dysregulated by that. Even when they're just like scared, petrified. Oh my gosh. My mother doesn't want to be with me. So we want to assure them. Also, I want to say very young children up until like age five, really, really have a hard time staying alone when a parent, like that's when they go with you to the bathroom and that's right. So especially when you're feeling like a little bit upset and they sense that because they feel everything um, and then you're walking off, they can sometimes come and like start banging on the door. And that happens many times with a lot of parents of young children. They're like, I'm trying to take a moment and I just want to be calm for them. And they're just making it so hard for me. So we have to understand that like they, they perceive it as abandonment a little bit. Like their attachment alarm system goes off and says like, oh no, we need to do something about this. So with younger children, I would probably say, try not to walk away, try to regulate yourself in front of them. Um, you can say like, I'm, I, I really need a few minutes for myself. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to sit right here. I'm just going to take a few deep breaths. You can do that in front of them. Usually they become very silent. And, just, and then your bodily regulation. But yeah, I, for sure when they're older, you can say like, I need to take a few minutes, um, but just assure them, I still love you. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Listen, so there's so much nuance. There's so much room for so many things in this. Yeah. You know, there's no I one way. Yeah. I think that the intent, like you said, is a big mm -hmm. piece of it and where it's coming from. Like, so yeah, this really resonates. Um, so based, this is going to be my final question, but based on feedback from, you know, my previous podcast, some people walked away feeling either of two things, um, either like I'm such a lousy parent I, and I messed up everything with my kid mm -hmm. and I might get cry it out till they're 18 months. So now I have attachment issues and, <laughs> um, and this is just too hard for me. Or they might say, you know, I, I have seven children. I don't have the bandwidth for this. I don't have the head space, uh, headspace or the time in my life to actually parent this way. And either way, they're walking away feeling like heavy and sad or, un, you know, not hopeful. Rather, I, and I want them to walk away from a podcast feeling uplifted and encouraged that they could do this. You could do this. Can you speak to that before I let you go? Yeah, yeah. It's so, you know, it's so, I love that you brought this up because this is so real. So, so real, you know? so many parents who come across this information feel extremely discouraged a lot of them go into shame spirals oh my gosh yeah. i can't believe i messed it all up i did it all wrong i can't lost case and they just feel so overwhelmed they're just like i can't i'm just giving up i'm not even trying i'm not even doing this you know and because it seems so lofty you know it seems so and this is the thing is that i think you mentioned this actually did you mention this you know, this is a from audience, right? So I, I think that that's like the power of the Sahara, you know, yeah. where like just makes it so discouraged. We're like, we're just, I just can't, just, I'm never going to get there. I did it all wrong. I, I, I have a lot of empathy for that because I felt that way so many times. Yeah. And at the same time, I really believe that if we could tap into that part of us and use it to motivate us rather than discourage us, right? Because that part of you is basically a yearning. It's a yearning and a desire that you have. You're like, I really, really do want to do this. But then you're attaching it to discouragement and to shame rather than being like, let me, right? So so use that to sort of, now again, um, uh, there's so many pieces here. I'm not sure what to say first. So I think the hard piece is true. I think it's coming from a place where we feel I can't do this. So if I just say I can't do it, then then I'll be fine. But the truth is Hasidus teaches us and from the Tyra, we know this is that we can do whatever we set our mind to. There's no such thing that we can't do it. Correct. Science talks about it too. Like it's, it's an idea that we can do whatever we said. If we say I can't do it, then I can, then it's going to be true. If I believe it, I'm, it's going to be, I can do it. So right. That's the 
Exactly. Yeah. So, so, so I, I was going to say that, you know, so many parents who have seven children who used to hit their children, who would do all, was violent with their children. I've worked with so many parents. One mother, she used to leave marks on her child's body. That's how violent she used to be. One, another mother has, like I said, seven children, actually. Yes, seven children. Um, she used to hit her children as well, right? So there's, and, and every single one of these parents has grown and evolved and changed and doesn't do the things they used to do anymore. Now, this is a very important part about this is that this is a journey. It's not a destination. Hmm. There's no one person who's just like, I got it. That's why it's not a method. You know, it's not like, oh, I got it down pat. Every single time my children do this, this is exactly what I do. And I don't get upset no, I'm not, for me neither. The longer I'm doing this, the more I realize how much room I have to grow. Hmm. Right. And so it's, it's a, it's a journey and it's so much more about focus on the journey. Don't focus on like, I have to do this and I have to be there. Focus on improving, evolving, right. And, and growing in that direction. And what I also want to say is get support. I think it's very hard for parents to do this alone. Like just listening to this and just being like, I don't know, right? So there's there's so many people out there who can really like either therapy for yourself. This is you, it's inner work, right? A lot of this stems from, and this is why I love what Ryokunam Poulter does with his Fresh Start Retreat. Because I think a lot of it, we have our own trauma. We have our own stuff that we went through. And, and that makes it so hard for us. Like we want it. We want to be regulated when our child does something, but our body is responding to the trauma that we got and we cannot regulate. We just don't know how to, we don't know what's, we're just, we just lash out and become enraged. We have explosive anger the same way our child does, right? So, so there's, there's help out there for that, right? And we can work on our stuff. And the more, that's really what happened with me is that as I went on this journey, I realized, whoa, I have a lot of stuff to work through, you know? And so it, it's a wonderful opportunity for growth. For me, that was so fulfilling and meaningful. So and again, it's really, really about the journey, not the destination. Don't compare your journey to anybody else's. You know, it's, yeah. And it's, you know, any, any small little change that you make in this direction has impacts your children, impacts your parenting in more ways than you realize. And it's like the butterfly effect, really. All the small shifts that you make in this, in this direction are going to keep impacting everything. And, and, and the more you shift, the easier it becomes to shift other things, you know? So just start, just start, you know, reach out to the things that, are, and I like to always say, start with what's easiest for you. Don't start with what's hardest for you, of right? You start with what resonates most. So you're like, I'm already pretty good at that. Let me lean into that further, you know, and, and start with that. And then there's, it feels encouraging and you see the feedback from your children, you see what's happening and then you keep growing. We're all, we're all human. None of, oh, please don't focus on perfection ever. Right. None of us are perfect. None of us will ever be. I see that also a lot of times. Parents will say like, I woke up this morning and I was like, I'm going to do it perfectly. No, you won't. You never will. Right. Um, don't set yourself up for failure, like failing in that way. We all are human. We're human and we, we, we don't do any of these things perfectly at all. And we always so, have a chance to restart. You know, that's, um, we could, you know, Rabbi Nachman of Wrestle says we could restart, you know, a hundred times a day, many times a day. We can keep restarting. We don't have to wait for tomorrow to start again. We can start in the moment that we're in. Correct. Um, I know of parents who even literally will like start lashing out her children and then she'll literally be like, stop, cancel, cancel. I'm starting again. Yes. You know? You have a yeah. 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 So, so, okay. I know this is my last question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish off with this. If I ask you one, like if you could put this into a line or a paragraph, what does gentle parenting, respectful parenting look like in the day-to-day -day life? What is, what is that? What does it actually look like? Okay. It looks like looking, seeing your children, seeing beyond behavior and seeing the needs of your children 
it looks like respecting your children, their thoughts, their opinions, their ideas. It looks like um, respecting their autonomy and their need for choice and freedom. It looks like holding space for all emotions, welcoming all the emotions that come up. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really, and it looks like leaning into trust. Oh my gosh, this is huge. It looks like leaning into trust. Trust more, trust that your children will, will you know, have what they need to be successful. Trust that Hashem is there to help you, that they're his children just as much as yours. Trust that you have it in you to be the parent your children need you to be. Trust, 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 lean into trust. I can't even tell you how important that one is. Yeah. I think my takeaway from all of this is going to be that question to ask yourself at each interaction, is this going to decrease or increase my connection with my child? Correct. And if, it, and if you chose something unintentionally or even intentionally that did decrease connection, that's part of how relationship works. There's a rupture, right? That's the rupture in the relationship. And then there's repair. You can always repair, apologize. You know what? I regret doing that. I don't want to do that. Let's start again. Let's do it differently. I'm right. So there's always repair. And I to believe that parents should should apologize to their children because I know that there's some mechanism that feel like I've heard Manus Friedman say a parent doesn't need to apologize to their child. It doesn't resonate with me. I feel like a parent can. I'm curious. Obviously, you feel similarly. Yeah. So actually, there's so much to say on this because I don't think it's as simple as saying like parents should apologize to children because I think that there's a lot that goes into it. Like, uh, how apologize? What do you say? how we should apologize the, the exactly way. like sometimes parents apologize 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 almost putting the almost putting the burden of their child to forgive them own. yeah right and sometimes we're like it's we're, we're taking more than we're giving mm. we're apologizing so we want to make sure that we're apologizing and sometimes if we apologize 150 times maybe the, maybe maybe we shouldn't apologize anymore maybe yeah. we should just focus on working on it and instead every time say out loud to ourselves something like oh i did not want to do that so your children hear that you regret it but you're not apologizing to them and they're just like again seriously you know so there's there's different ways there's different things to consider but as a whole as a whole yes i definitely believe in apologizing children and by the way even apologizing for those listening who have already been parenting a different way for a long time you can always come back to your i've apologized to my child for giving her timeouts and for you know and, and sometimes she's even brought things up to me mom you used to do that you know and mm -hmm. I've, I've listened to her and i've been like yeah not, that that must have really hurt you or you didn't like that she'd be like yeah why did you do that you know and so holding space for our children, and you can always apologize. You can say, you know, I've been reading about parenting or thinking about it, or I listened to something and I realized that I've been doing something all this time that I really didn't want to do, or that I realized how, I didn't realize how much it affects you or how much it hurts you. I, tell me more about, that's also another huge thing about apologies is it should be more about not just like apologizing and getting over with it, but holding space for the pain that it inflicted or caused our child. And you want to hold space for that because what that does is is that basically it takes an interaction where a child felt pain and loneliness and disconnection and it attaches now connection to it and and uh right holding space it basically like we can do that we can we like the memory of that basically changes now to uh wow. exactly exactly so yeah so we want to do that too we really want to hold space for what our child went through and it's always you can always do that even if you're adult children never too late never too late right but you know as you're saying that it's so interesting that came up for me is 
you were saying how like you know there's people that like let's say they 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 slap the child and they feel bad about it and they buy them a gift so that's not would not be considered a peer that 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 memory is still that that bike every time they're going to go on that bike is going to think about that slap that they got or that hurt so it has actually has to be a real apology not just a gift or something that's but actually words and vulnerability and and ownership and you know really taking it in yeah and i would say holding space like i would say literally if i hit my child right then i would say something like oh, that must have really hurt you. Or like, how did that feel? And they're so like, yeah, I felt like you didn't love me. And I'm saying, oh my gosh, yeah, I hear that. You know, no, no, no excuses, no dismissing, no denying, you know, just being like, oh, I know. So that's really, you're really, then you're really taking that memory and that feeling because that feeling is being brought up for them of right. what happened in that moment. And you're re, not rewriting it, but you're adding to it. Yeah, that's fascinating too. Um, I have so many more questions and I, I we have so little time left, but this thing that's still coming up for me is that piece of when I need to create a boundary, how I can do it without, without doing damage, how I can say, when I need to say no to a child, you can't um, have that gift that you want. No, you can't go on that trip. It's not within our family values. And how does, how does, you know, respectful parenting or gentle parenting, you know, give me a quick tip on that. Like, how would I, actually yeah. do so, that so, yeah so remember this okay a child upset feeling or disappointment does not mean that you cause disconnection or that you ruptured the relationship right when a child's alone with their feelings that you caused that can cause i mean that can also cause uh, i guess problem uh, damage or i don't know i don't want to use strong words like that but you know yeah within themselves but also with you right okay. So, so the, the, them just feeling really, really big feelings it, because you did something like holding a boundary that you wasn't their best interest. That's not, that's not going to cause any major problems. If, if you don't then welcome the feeling and hold space for it. So let's say you tell your child, no, we're not going to be able to do that because whatever, whatever. My child's like, oh, I'm not fair. So but bad. why, but why, but why? Ooh, oh, okay. So right. You're so mean. So here's the thing that I, I often like to say that I actually do believe in explaining things to our children why, but in the moment that they want something very badly and they're pushing, sometimes that is the wrong time to tell them because they're not really saying, but why, because they want to understand they're saying, but why, because they want it so badly and they're just trying to push, which makes so much sense. But they say when there's a will, there's a way, right? You know, I often say like, we only tell the children when we want them to push, but when we don't want them to, we're like, give it up already. Yeah. But it goes both ways, right? When there's a will, there's a way. So they're being persistent. They're pushing for it. And so your job as a parent is to basically hold the boundary really clearly so they see there's nothing to negotiate here. But when we start saying like explaining why, sometimes it actually leads into our child thinking like, oh, I have hope. There's hope here. I can, I can. And when you're really, really clear that there is no hope and you're not open to negotiation, which by the way, I'm not against being open to negotiation. I'm all for collaboration. But if it's something that you're very clear on that there's no like wiggle room here, then just hold the boundary and what you do when your child says, but why, but why? Don't answer the actual question. Answer what they're really asking is like, oh, I really want this so badly, please. And so you say, I know you want this so badly. It's so hard sometimes not to get what we want, right? The empathy. So I go for the feeling. Yes, I go for what's happening. So it's the empathy piece. Like at that moment, you can say it, but then you don't have to, you could be empathetic. I know this is really hard. You really wanted this. You yeah, yeah, I know. I know you're mad and, and you're feeling... And not not trying to fix it. Oh, let's read a book, but actually yeah. just let them feel their feelings and yeah. them in their discomfort. 
Exactly, exactly, exactly. You don't have to fix, you don't have to solve. I think that might be the hardest part why parents don't want to say no and set a boundary is because I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to sit with my child in their discomfort. So I'm going to find a way to say yes. Correct. Correct. This was huge. I used to tiptoe around my child because like yeah. she's highly sensitive. So every little thing would take her off, right? So I was just like saying, I, my husband literally points out to me, he's like, you know, you tiptoe around her. Like you're walking on eggshells. You know, at first I had a really hard time hearing. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> Until one day it actually, I had an epiphany of my own. And I was like, I do do that. Right. And so then I realized it was because exactly what I was very uncomfortable sitting with her in her big inner feelings and her discomfort. And so I had to first learn how to do that. Once I became much more comfortable, I practiced over and over again. And so letting her feel her feelings, just sitting there, not fixing it, not doing anything about it, not thinking that it's my job to make it go away or anything. Then I became so much more empowered to just set a boundary and welcome whatever comes. This is huge for parents though. And for all and how does one actually become more comfortable with that? Practice. First of all, maybe it starts with being comfortable with our own emotions. Mm. Many of us were raised to that way where our parents just shut down our emotions or rescued them. Mm. Okay, I'm gonna fix it. I'm gonna here's a lolly, here, here's a candy, I'm gonna write or if you're going to cry, I'm going to give you something to cry about, or, you know, one of those kinds of things, or, or pretend you didn't cry at all, just ignored you, you know? So most of us didn't learn to have a very good relationship or comfortable relationship with our own emotions. So for many parents, it also, I, I would say it can happen in tandem with practicing being there for our child, but also practice becoming in touch with your own emotions and just allowing them to be rather than relying on the coping mechanisms that we learned, you know? Um, to deal with our emotions. And by the way, I want to say another piece about emotions. There's so much to say on this, but a lot of times children actually, their behavior will come from unexpressed emotions, right? So uh, emotions are energy emotion. They're actual energy and that energy seeks expression. And if it's not going to come out through tears or through, you know, just being like, oh, I want you and all that, it's going to come out another way, you know? And sometimes it comes out towards ourselves, which is what we call depression right? Or, you know, but aggression is many times the way it comes out. So when we welcome our children's emotions, we're actually um, making it much more likely that they won't have like these, you know, aggression and all that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, wow. I I still have more questions, but I want to respect the time. And I also want to keep it in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. I had, I wanted to ask you though, was it resolved for you that question? Cause I see you struggle with it a few times about how do I set a boundary, but still not be disconnected. Uh, you? I, I appreciate you asking me that. Yes. I do feel like that piece, like I had an awareness where it came about was, Hey, it's actually about me not wanting to discomfort my child and sit with them in their discomfort mm. rather than avoid it. And I'm realizing, Hmm, I need to do that work. I need to realize that I have to sit with my child in their discomfort. And that's okay. I don't have to fix it. I just need to be with them and feel it and feel that discomfort. And yeah. talking about it, I could feel it in my belly, that like yucky feeling, like, ugh, I don't want that. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, yeah, it's an awareness that I came to. It's very, very fascinating. There's a lot of things. Um, if people want to find out more about your course or first of all, you could follow Blimey, uh, Blimey Hell, it's Unconditional Parenting on Instagram. I highly encourage each of you to reach to uh, follow her. She's got great conversations going there. If you're not on Instagram, she also has these, in addition, she has these parenting courses. I'm encouraging you to do one during the day because that's what I want to, I want to attend the next one. I'd like to learn more. And instead of having to go and read thousands of books and read up like you did, I just want to hear from you. It's just a lot easier. It's, it's just get it all exactly in one place. why I offer the course. Literally, I took all the information and consolidated it. Yeah. Okay. So I don't want to have to go consolidate it. Let me take it from you. So um, I can't wait for you to be offering another course. When is your next course starting? In October. In October. Okay. Well, it's not too late. It's not too early for people to start thinking about that. 
Um, yeah, listen, I if you follow me on Instagram, I always, I, I, I um, always publicize it when it goes live and when you can register. So. Right. And you can reach out to me on my website if you're looking for, for contact information as well. If you don't have Instagram. Um, yes, I have an email address you can email me at. And also I offer private coaching for parents as well. And I offer even to so my courses, like the one, you know, big thing where there's a lot of like great consolidated information about what this whole thing is about. But throughout the year, I offer classes like one-time classes here on their own topics that parents find, you know, interesting or they're struggling with. Like, for example, I'm doing well in sibling rivalry um, mm -hmm. in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So things like that, you know, and then we'll be, and, and boundaries I'm planning to do one on because many people struggle with that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good one. That's a really, really good one. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's excellent. Okay, so this has been very helpful. And I want to, again, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us all, being comfortable to share your own experiences. And um, I've learned a lot. And I'm sure my listeners have learned a lot as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. And I loved your questions. They were, they were so, um, they really gave me a lot of room to share so much. And I really appreciate them. So thank you. Thank you.